passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. everyone and welcome to another episode of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every uh, tournament finals from the G1 Climax uh, presented by New Japan Pro Wrestling. My name is WH Park. I'm the uh, co-host of the Post Perez podcast at postwrestling.com along with John Pollock and uh, this is uh, my side project, my side gig, if you will. I shouldn't really call it a side gig. Because I actually get paid for this, but you you know what I mean. But it, it's all good. Uh, I do it for for the love of wrestling, for the love of postwrestling.com, and for the love of hearing my own voice later on when these get uploaded to the server and stuff. Uh, <laughs> joining me today as my co-host, he, he's a return guest. He he uh, made his first appearance on Cruel Summer on episode fourteen, uh, two thousand and four edition. So ten years later, he's back. <laughs> two thousand fourteen. He is uh, Joey Bay. Joey, how are you today? Good, man. I'm, I'm glad to be back on. Time has flown. It's been 10 full years. There's still, uh, if you listen to our last episode, the same cat that was uh, making ruckus uh, on that episode at the beginning uh, is sitting right next to me calmly, and uh, I think we're going to have a, a good recording session. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Like, you know, it's not an isolated incident like we had uh, – uh, Jojo Remy's cat uh, right. uh, making an appearance on his episode. It's all good. I love cats. It's all good for me. So I, I don't really. It doesn't bother me at all. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's a. Uh, if she has any uh, added comments to uh, to what we're reviewing today, uh, I'll uh, hand the phone over to her and 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 let her uh, divulge and, and get her point across. Yeah, <laughs> what would she? she what, what would she be divulging? Like what a horrible owner you are. Oh no, I think. She, this this specific cat really likes me, so I think um, she she keep it pretty strictly within in the wrestling uh, bubble. I, I think Nakamura is one of her favorite wrestlers, so um, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see what she thinks. All right, okay. <laughs> if, she's, if she wakes up, <laughs> I'm I'm always uh, up for hearing the uh, you know the uh, the feline uh, perspective on when Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, so this is your second appearance, and uh, you know, as of this recording, I think we released your your episode last week. Yeah, yeah, and, I was uh, terrified, and it ended up sounding pretty good. I thought you you had a wonderful appearance, it. and that's why you know I I asked you to be on again, and I think we got some positive feedback. Like I think one of your friends uh, tweeted out like uh, that he liked the episode. Was it your friend Sean? Uh, no, it was a. Uh... Oh, I forget his handle. It's too real for you. He's a he's just this really nice dude that I met at a Chikara show like 
eight years ago, and then we just keep in touch on Twitter. <laughs> He's a really yeah, nice yeah. guy. <laughs> is is he actually too real for everyone? Uh, that you, I I can't answer for him. <laughs> You'd be better off asking him. But I I believe it. He's I think he's from like uh, you know the the rough streets of uh, of New York. So he's he's pretty real. <laughs> okay, like, but what what part of New York? If you're gonna say like the rough the you know the the rough streets of Greenwich Village, I I I'd be like, what really? <laughs> well, I think the the Chikar show that I met him at was actually in like Boys Town, so <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not, I'm not too sure of uh, the uh, the uh, geographic layout of of Manhattan. But <laughs> all right, so since this is your second appearance, we don't have to really talk about <laughs> about you so much at the beginning of the show. Everyone probably knows who you are at this point. So, Joey, let's just get straight into the G1 Climax because we we actually have good. a lot to talk about in about 2014. Uh, so let's get to it. The 2014 G1 Climax was a two block, 22 man round robin tournament held from July 21st to August 10th taking place over 12 shows and at this point in history it was the biggest tournament in the g1 history uh it would be eclipsed in the in in 2015 as as i think that went to like 19 shows (laughs) yeah i think that's when they went to the block specific shows the next year yes that's when they would do that so um uh, and this is the second year that all sh- all the G1 shows would be broadcast on iPay-Per-View, on uh, Nico Nico in Japan, and in on Ustream in the rest of the world. And did you watch this on Ustream? Yes, sir. Yes, I. Uh, I uh, the 2013 and the 2014, I was uh, I was one of those people that paid like 120 bucks for the entire listing of shows that they had available. So. I was I was one of those people. <laughs> I, I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people thought, okay, I'm going to pay about you know just over two hundred dollars to watch yeah. all like all the shows of this tournament, and instead of waiting for like you know three weeks for it to show up on tape or some dodgy torrent site. <laughs> so I think for a lot of people, <laughs> it, it it was a bargain. Did you feel like you were getting you you were like it was money well spent for you? Yeah, I mean, at that time, like, I had no idea that within the next year we'd have New Japan World for 999 yen a month, and we'd, we'd be getting the entire month of the G1 shows for for that price. And looking back, I mean, like, if if we went back to those times, it would be unfortunate, but I still think there's a lot of worth in in these shows, and I think there'd still be a lot of people that would pay for it if New Japan needed the cash or for whatever reason. Um, I, I think we definitely got our money's worth this year, though. Well, I, I think for 2014, it was the second year they did this, and 2013's tournament, like you just had these like loaded shows with like almost oh, yeah. like what four at least at least half of them were like these match of the year contenders on each. Yeah, I, I think everyone's like this was an easy buy. Oh yeah, 2013. If 2014 is anything going to be like you know going to be anything like 2013, it's worth the hundred dollars. It's the it was probably the best value in wrestling at that point. For sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I, I really feel like th- this year uh, and the year before were like the the precursors to New Japan World. I really think New Japan f- saw like the success of the you know the the experiment of using like putting these on Nico Nico and Ustream and thought, okay, we there's an audience that's going to pay a lot of money to 
uh, like get this directly live. So let's follow the WWE. I think, and also like I think they looked at the success of the WWE Network and thought we can do that because the price point is essentially the same as the WWE Network yeah. at that time. So um, and so like I think because of people like you and and other people who bought these shows, like was the reason for you know the creation of New Japan World, and you know then that's how we enjoy our Shinihan Protas to this day, Joey. Yeah, and it's super awesome and super convenient, and I try not to take New Japan World for granted. <laughs> nor, nor, nor should you. Uh, you know, you know the the interesting thing about uh, this final. We're going to talk about the finals, which would be uh, uh, who is uh, which is Nakamura versus Okada. But the the other major happening on, on this show was uh, the appearance of one Jeff Jarrett. And Scott Demore of Global Force Wrestling, Joey. And not only did they announce that they would be broadcasting Wrestle Kingdom 9 on January January 4th of uh, 2015 on American Pay-Per-View, but they also joined the Bullet Club, you know, in the in, in a momentous <laughs> moment in professional wrestling history. And, uh, you know, all joking aside, I will say that the not Jeff Jarrett per se, but Scott Demore with Jeff Jarrett joining the Bullet Club was probably one of the worst things to happen to that brand since the joining of like Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens. Yeah, I, I I try to forget it. It was, you know, classic Jeff Jarrett just uh, trying to kind of get his foot in the door somewhere where uh, it, it, the door was left open a little bit and uh, he saw some uh, some rumblings of, of some buzz going on in New Japan at the time. And um, I mean... He, he wasn't stupid for doing so, but it just kind of went over like a wet fart. <laughs> oh no, we we I think it's universally recognized that Jeff Jarrett is the smartest man in professional wrestling history. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember you and uh, Chris Charlton on on the old Japanese auto audio wrestling shows, uh, kind of reviewing this stuff and just being like, what? Like everything in this promotion is great, and then there's this little thing <laughs> jeff jarrett <laughs> with his and, dyed blonde hair and, and scott demore <laughs> yes and scott demore sorry and i had nothing against scott demore honestly i think he's doing a bang-up job as the the one of the bookers of impact wrestling these days so oh, yeah. kudos to him but just at the time i thought really scott demore is in the bullet club all right okay <laughs> i wonder a- I, not to uh not to uh stray too far off the path but do you think uh, Scott Moore was backstage at Dallas considering uh, Impact ran the next night after the G1? Or you, th- you think he was visiting some uh, some some old uh, friendly faces or non-friendly faces? Uh, I, 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 I'm going to say he's he was probably at the Lance Archer's barbecue. Oh, yeah. With with specifically uh, Suzuki-Goon Listen, that's and then Scott saw, Moore. Those who we saw in the pictures, I... I would put dollars and cents that pretty much the entire roster was at Lance yeah. Archer's house live during the uh, the G1 Climax weekend in Dallas. So, uh, like, of course, they're not going to show like Okada hanging out of the pool with Yujiro, you know, or or uh, or uh, Taichi like uh, yeah. e- eating hot dogs, you know, and stuff. They just got to show the Suzuki gang. But I, I'm going to think that probably a lot of the roster were at good old Lance's house there. Yeah, that'd be funny if they like. <laughs> For whatever reason, his, whoever was taking the camera, like it glitched and it took a selfie, and then like you see all the people 
behind the person taking the picture and it's like Okada and like Tadahashi and all these big stars trying to get out of the picture so they could get their Suzuki Goon photo. Exactly. I like, I think that's totally <laughs> what it was like over there in Dallas at, at the Archer household. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about 2014. Let's look at the blocks in a block. We have Shinsuke Nakamura, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Bad Luck Fale making his G1 debut, which is like, you know, it's a dark day in, in G1 history. <laughs> uh, Katsuyori Shibata, Shelton Benjamin, or uh, Shelton X Benjamin. <laughs> you know, in episode 23 with Rich, which Rich Krejcev, Voice of Wrestling, we, we, I debated with him, like, maybe the X isn't really for, like, you know, like they say X is the, the mystery person, mystery opponent, or mystery partner. I feel maybe the X stands is like an homage to Malcolm X. What do you think? Oh, I never even thought of that. But uh, yeah, that would make more sense than I, I forget his introduction at this point. Um, he wasn't like a, a mystery partner, was he? For because he was in Suzuki Goon. Um, well, no, he was he was an X, and then they revealed that it was Shelton, I think. And he was I gotcha. Think he, and he just kept the X. It is kept the X, and I'm like, why would you keep the X unless? You know, Shelton's a big fan of Malcolm X in American civil rights history. That could be it. Maybe it's an homage hey. to Malcolm X. Yeah. I, hey, listen, I, I am a big admirer of Malcolm X along with Martin Luther King. So and of this generally of the civil rights movement. So I'm I'm all for it. If that's what Shelton was doing, kudos to Shelton. I'm yeah. a big proponent of that. Good shout. Uh, continuing on with the participants, we have uh, Tomohiro Ishii, who who probably wasn't paying any homage to any civil rights leaders in the United <laughs> States in the 1960s. Uh, Satoshi Kojima, Dave Boy Smith Jr., Doc Gallows making his G1 debut. So it's a it's a double dark year because you have two of the shittiest wrestlers ever <laughs> entering the G1 this year. I, as you can tell, I'm not a fan of Doc Gallows, nor of Bad Luck Fale, uh, Joey. Uh, Yuji Nagata... And uh, Tomoaki Hanma making his G1 debut, debut replacing an injured Kodobushi. So this is actually a, a good addition to the G1 in, in one Hanma-san. Yes, yeah. His I remember Ibushi, it was only a few days, I think, before the G1 started where they announced Honma was replacing him. Um, but, like, I don't know. He was such a great added, like, background story to this tournament. Just, I mean... Not, I, I don't know if we're, we're going to divulge into Honma in 2014, but he ended up losing out uh, the entire tournament, but somehow have also having like some of the best matches of the year and specifically of the tournament with, with guys like Shibata. And even uh, I think he had a great little match in Yokohama, like on the, the penultimate night in uh, against Shelton Benjamin. So like, that's a, uh, he just was killing it with everybody well, he, in the he, A block. Well, he's a, he's actually a really good worker, and I think his oh yeah yeah his charisma and like his history of wrestling. You know, he started as a as a deathmatch wrestler in Big Japan for wrestling. Yeah. He moved to to All Japan, and then he would do the you know he, he kind of, his his path kind of follows similar route as like Ishii. Like he did a lot of indies in the, in Japan, and then he finally got hired by New Japan and became a full time roster member. But he was always a tag team partner for for Makabe in, in Great Bash Hill. Uh, and so, like, when he became a singles guy, you know, focusing on singles wrestling, like, his story is that he never wins. Like, when he does get that win, when he finally hits that, uh, his headbutt, the, uh, the Kokeshi. the Kokeshi, like, when he finally hits it, that's the big pop. That's what people want to see. They want that anticipation, though. Like, his charm is that he, he builds his anticipation in the fans, and when, when he denies it, denies them, 
the look they want they want to see until like the match where he finally hits it, then it's all worth it. I feel. Yeah, yeah. No, home was great. I I didn't mean it like whatever I was saying to come off in a negative manner. I think Homa, especially at this time, this this stretch of few years where he was in the G one, were incredible. Um, yeah, I love the guy. It's sad seeing him kind of move around the ring at this point, but uh, with after coming back from the neck injury, but. I, you have to, you can't give him anything but respect for, for those years of just, even the deathmatch stuff is great. And then to call back to uh, uh, our last episode together, where you were asking me my origins into Japanese pro wrestling, it was Honma and his, uh, I forgot his tag partner again, but uh, Final Battle 2000, Miyamoto, yeah, um, against the Second City Saints at Final Battle 2003 was like one of the first uh, matches for, that I, it's kind of like, hey, maybe I should check out this uh, this Japanese wrestling stuff. And did it take you to the dark depths of uh, Big Japan Pro Wrestling in the early 2000s? <laughs> no, man, I, that's weird. Like, I didn't start getting into, like, Big Japan until, like, 2017, 2018, and then it really ramped up when we went to uh, that Big Japan show last year after the G1 final, and I actually saw it live and in person with my, my own two eyes, and I was just like, wow, this is great stuff I, uh, I can't believe i was ever negative about this <laughs> well that was the that was the uh, show that we missed, missed the first match because like brother mort wanted to watch the the air guitar stuff yeah i can't give him all the blame though i mean if we were talking about this a few days ago i, I was sitting there taking all my pictures of tanahashi and a lit up budokan too so I, ca- I can't give all the blame to brother mort <laughs> no i'm not i'm not actually blaming Mort because i i was waiting outside with uh jonas and and our friend Matt McEwen and and I said to those guys, let's just go. They'll catch up. Let's just go. <laughs> and they're like, no, we should stay together. I go, they know how to get to Cork and Hall, dude. Don't worry, let's yeah. just go. And they're like, they insisted. And then as soon as we sit down, we realized we missed the first match, and that we were sitting, we were actually gonna have to sit close to the ring. Uh, <laughs> and and the first shards of light tube glass landed in our laps. And I looked at Matt. I said, we should have gone. He's like, you're right. We should have. <laughs> <laughs> well i apologize no like i said i blame matt i blame matt for this not you so, so don't worry it's okay i get it like you guys have probably never seen the air guitar shit it's fine i'm i'm i blame i blame matt he blames himself so it's all good don't worry about it Let, let's move on to the uh the b block so in b block we have kuzushka okada the debuting aj styles and this is a good g1 debut uh, uh yes joey not not uh, not the the dark entries of uh, Doc Gallows and Bad Luck Fale, uh, Carl Anderson, Minoru Suzuki, and I think this is the year that AJ and Minoru Suzuki had the match of the year in Corkin. Uh, at Corkin, at it's a fucking awesome match. It sure is. I mean, there's there's a lot of great matches on the show, but that one obviously kind of sticks out. Like that kind of captured the pro wrestling bubbles, like attention and. Like I, I feel like that brought a lot of viewers to New Japan too. Just AJ Styles just being in New Japan did, of course, but that specific match was like, oh, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah, I think it won Match of the Year in the Wrestling Observer Awards, didn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it did. I, I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it won the Match of the Year, and uh, rightly so. I, I think it was an amazing, yeah. amazing match. Um, let's continue. Tetsuya Naito, Lance Archer. Yujiro Takahashi, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Toriano, Hiroki Goto, and 
Togi Makabe. So looking at these at these blocks, what what do you think, Joey? Um, there's a lot of great, and then there's uh, kind of a few head scratchers, especially at the time. Um, you know, like Shelton Benjamin was still kind of unproved in the A block. He ended up having a, a pretty good tournament. I remember him having uh, some uh, some good matches with uh, Shibata. Who who else was? Uh, I, I remember that in Honma. Yeah, we already talked about it. I just remember really liking that home match for whatever reason. But then there's guys like Fale, um, Archer at the time. Like, I I can't really say anything negative about him right now because he's freaking killing it this year. But um, he had an awesome Jiro, match. He had an actually one of his best matches was against AJ in, in this year's tournament. I remember like I was very down on him as a singles. And then I watched that match with AJ. I'm like, why, why am I, why am I not getting this version of Lance Archer? And this is actually the time when he's still doing the spitting on, on the fans, which I hate. Yeah. I think that's such a horrible gimmick. Um, I'm glad they took it away from him and I'm glad he's like kind of settled in the idea of not needing it. He doesn't need it. Like the guy, look at the guy's look and like how he wrestles. He doesn't need to be spitting on fans to get heat, you know? Yeah, no, it was kind of a crutch of the whole gimmick thing. And, He's he's too good for that. <laughs> yeah, but he had, he did have a like. I urge people if you're liking what Lance Archer is doing this year, find the 2014 G1 Climax match that he has with AJ Styles. It's it's a phenomenal, uh, no pun intended, match there. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look at the path of each man to the finals. So for Shinsuke Nakamura, he goes eight and two. He only suffers losses against Katsuyori Shibata and Hiroshi Tanahashi. And Okada also has the same record of 8-2, and two, suffering uh, losses to uh, Carl Anderson and Tetsuya Naito. So this sets the stage for their match, Kazuchika Okada and Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, stablemates in the Chaos uh, group. And uh, kind of like, it's interesting because like at this point, you know, like Okada is the big star of the company, but in a lot of people's eyes, Nakamura is still the leader of chaos because he has seniority over Okada in this match. What what was your view of the dynamics, the group dynamics in chaos between Nakamura and Okada, Joey? Uh, I, I kind of came on in like 2012 with new Japan, like with Okada's run. And, um, I, I saw him as like the clear cut winner in 2012 or leader of chaos in 2012. Um, until, these two actually had a match in Osaka uh, that year in the G1 and uh, Shinsuke beat him pretty handedly. And I was like, okay, well that's kind of setting up for something later, but also kind of puts Nakamura in that, that top leader spot still. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you fast forward two years and they're meeting in the final. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think coming into the, to the match, Shinsuke was still the clear, leader of chaos but possibly afterwards that's when it kind of shifted towards okada Mm -hmm. uh and so we should make a big big note here that this in its 24 year history this is the first time the g1 was not being held uh, the finals at least were not being held at the uh sumo hall in uh ryogoku area of tokyo Uh, i think Sumo Hall was being renovated at that point. Yeah. So they moved to the Seibu Dome in Tokorozawa in the Saitama Prefecture, which is a little bit far from, you know, Tokyo. It's about, I'm going to say it was like about an hour, maybe close to an hour and a half on the train 
from like I think around the you have to go to the Asakusa area and then catch a special train to the Saitama Prefecture to to Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like an hour to get to to Tokyo, and then it was another like you know hour and a half to get to uh, to Kurosawa. So it's a it's a pretty long trip. So we had to get we me and a group of friends had to get there pretty early to go to the show and. The thing was, a couple of days earlier before the show, so I attended the show live, um, and it was my second year after 2013, which was my first time going to Sumo Hall for the finals, the last two nights, which, you know, I, as I was saying on episode 23, like, that's the start of my hatred for Sumo Hall in the month of <laughs> August. Uh, so for me, I was like, okay, let's, it's not at Sumo Hall, let's go to this place, let's try it, maybe it'll be nicer. So, you know, August is notoriously hot. In the summer, yes, it's very hot and humid, as, as you well know from last year. Yes, <laughs> um, but a couple of days before the show, like there was a weather warning that there might be a typhoon happening. We're gonna get heavy rain, and there might be a typhoon. I'm like, oh dear! Like if typhoons happen, a lot of times the trains close. So we were, me and my friends, we were all coming from uh, Shizuoka Prefecture, so we were all worried about like, is are we gonna be able to get there? Are we gonna be able to get home after the show? So the weather was rainy, but it was okay. We were able to get to Tokyo. We were able to get to, you know, uh, to Kurosawa, get to the Seibu Dome. It's wet, but we did, we were still dry. Like we kind of missed the rain for the most part. Um, but then we get into the Seibu Dome, and I noticed it's so the Seibu Dome is is an, like kind of a uh, it's, it's it's a baseball stadium, but it's not. But it's like kind of how do I say this? It's not it's not like the Tokyo Dome, which is like goes up. This one goes down into the ground. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so they kind of like built it into the the earth, like they basically dug a hole for this big stadium. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's a huge stadium too, and it has a roof, but there are no walls. Mm-hmm. So what you get is like this, <clears throat> and so it, we're in the midst of a typhoon. So it's actually cool air, Joey. It's really comfortable, actually. Nice. <laughs> and when when the sun goes down, oh my god, it's, it's still a little bit humid. But my God, the breeze was amazing. It was like a godsend to me to be in this place for the G1 Finals <laughs> after suffering through hell, through like this ungodly hell of a sweatbox the year before. So I'm like, just, oh my God, so nice. I've, I'm so happy. The seats are a little far back, but we can still see everything. And they got the giant screen up that they use for the mm-hmm. baseball games. They're projecting it there. So I, I actually have a very good view of the entire show. But then at some point, I think maybe like maybe into like match four or five, it starts raining again and it's really windy. It's like close to being a typhoon and I'm lucky where I'm sitting. I just get kind of like, like the, like, a, like, like misted. misted. Yeah. I get misted. So I, I'm loving it. I'm like, Oh no, this is great. This is awesome. But there's the section across from me, which would be, I guess across from me would be like where the, the, the home base is. You know, if we're looking at a okay. baseball diamond configuration. So that area is getting, like, the wind is blowing the rain into the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone in, like, the top sections of, of those seats are getting drenched. Like, I, I see people putting up umbrellas. It's not doing them any good because it's just hitting their backs, right? So I'm just, like, laughing. I feel bad for them. But at the same time... Oh. Because I'm an asshole. I'm still laughing my ass off. Because I'm dry as a bone, more or less. And these people are getting drenched. And I can see people, like, moving, like, to different seats. And you could, because, I'll, I'll be honest, the 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 seat the seating in this place was pretty empty. Like, because it's, it's a huge building, you know. Yeah. And I don't know if it comes across necessarily 
on TV. I think they were able to be really smart about how they blocked the, the camera shots. You didn't see too many empty seats. Not like, you know, the what we saw in Dallas, like on TV with uh, yeah. the, the opening night of this year's G1. But uh, from my perspective, being there live, there was tons of empty seats. And I just thought, ah, you know, doesn't look good visually. But for me, like we, me and my friends, we had all the space to ourselves. It was, it was amazing. We could actually spread out so I could like put my arms out, you know. On yeah. seating, and like no one was sitting next to me. I could go behind. There was nobody sitting behind me. It was, it was, from a fan perspective, it was awesome. Yeah, that it's uh, on video. It's such a cool venue uh, to, to watch wrestling from. I, I I'm not sure if any other wrestling shows ever happened in the building. I believe they ran it like in the '90s or something, but I've never seen it, anything. But the the way the the roof of the dome is like transparent. But it's still closed, so you, it lets light in to the to to like the uh, event space, and like once the main event starts, uh, and it's like it looks like the it's right around like sunset or dusk, like there's like a red glow coming from the ceiling, and then it, like you were saying, where they they built like the field into the ground, there's like open air between like where the dome actually starts, like the roof, and then where the seats are. And you can see outside of the stadium, you see all like the trees and nature. And I'm not sure what the surrounding area is, but um, it's basically it's basically a park, essentially around. There. Okay, yeah. okay, so it's probably yeah, a beautiful park. <laughs> so like you see like the sky, like it's it's starting to get a little bit darker, and like there's like this picturesque like red sky for like this background scenery of this main event, and it's just like it's so awesome, and I not to get into the match, but like you can ha- actually hear like cicadas on the audio of, of this match, like kind of like the Weezers kind of like going back and forth. And it's like, ne- you never hear that on wrestling shows. So it was a really cool little uh, aspect of, of uh, watching this match. <laughs> no, like it was an amazing, like visual being there live, uh, you know, right, typhoon aside, near typhoon aside. Yeah. I, I do think that the, the walk up would have been really big. If it wasn't for the weather, I do think they would have got more seats sold on the day of the show. But I think people were being very cautious about buying tickets for this, like with the weather forecast being what it was. So, like, it, I think if it was like any other time of the year, like not any time of the year, but if like, the weather was different that that year, you would have had yeah. a lot more of the seats filled. But, you know, from my perspective, like as a fan, as someone who doesn't like crowds, <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 nice to be able to spread out a little bit, but yeah, they still got. Uh, I mean, the announced attendance for the show was like eighteen thousand, so they still packed a, a good amount of people, and it it did like you said, it didn't look bad on TV. They they must have sectioned it off right, but um, yeah, it's I for me like this is one of my favorite like like settings for a wrestling show that I've ever seen. It's just so cool and so unique. Well, one thing about it is that because of the size of the, you know, it's a Seibu Dome, so it's, it's a similar, you know, style to like the Tokyo Dome. So you could, you they yeah. created this amazing elaborate stage setup for the entrances. Yeah. So we, we should it's, let's start there. Sorry, we'll start there and, and say like cool. so. So we look at the entrances. So like Okada's out first, and we get to see a camera shot of him, kind of like in the hole of like the, yeah, his head's poking out. His head's poking out. <laughs> And and he he's elevated up to the platform by by an elevator, and uh, Sabu Doom, you know, like the Sabu Doom size allows for this amazing stage setup that that you would really only see during something like Wrestle Kingdom. 
So it's pretty yeah. cool that way. Um, uh, Nakamura comes out second. There's a thunderous reaction to uh, his entrance to the the strains of Subconscious, his theme song in New Japan for wrestling. Uh, I'm going to say definitely at this point, the crowd is more into Nakamura uh, at the start of this match. Yeah, definitely. I, I Going back to who the general perception of who the New Japan fan base still sees as like the the clear-cut leader of chaos i i feel like going into this match was still shinsuke nakamura and uh yeah i i think I, everybody else was still in agreement like you you still see your okada fans and like the, the diehards out in the crowd with their their okada towels and doing the rainmaker pose but i think nakamura was still like the clear-cut leader he's like riding this wave of popularity he had that awesome you know icy title reign you know, in, in the years before. And then like, he's just so cool, you know, at this point, but you know, yeah, I, I, he was, he was still, uh, the, um, what, what would you call him? I, I forget. It, was it like coked up Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson of new Japan or something like that? Yeah. yeah like he's the, <laughs> yeah, he, he came back from Mexico and he became, and eventually morphed into like this, like cokehead Michael Jackson wannabe style character with the, yep. especially with the jackets that he wore to the ring and stuff. I, I love that description of him. <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. It's yeah. Uh, at the start of this match, we see that, you know, we get a shot of Okada. He looks a little pensive having to face his uh, chaos teammate slash leader in Nakamura. Um, the match starts and, you know, it's, it's a it's pretty clean fight at this point. There's a lot of grappling to start the, the beginning of this epic contest between Nakamura and Okada, Joey. Yes. <laughs> uh, Nakamura does the uh, break. You know, he does that spot when he breaks from the ropes. He's got his opponent up against the ropes, and then he he moves his head slowly down to their belly, and he just he just drapes his arm back and forth and stuff. Uh, and he keeps his head like so. He keeps his head in contact with his opponent's body, and uh, you know, Okada's like fuck this. He takes the opening to put uh, Nakamura in a neck lock, and then gives him a DT. <laughs> and really, he's just like, okay, fuck this. I'm not putting up with any of your shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get. You- pin you get this match over with and i'm going to become the leader of chaos uh and this actually starts the the whole you know psychology of okada's attack which is to work over nakamura's neck yep and uh, oh, go go for it <laughs> oh sorry yeah so okada you know to this point okada uses neck breakers uh he uses this kind of weird cross arm reverse chin lock of sorts on nakamura uh, to work over his neck. Um, uh, Nakamura is able to avoid an Okada elbow in the corner and they start a strike exchange, which Nakamura wins with one of his uh, big knee lifts. He uh, continues to knee Okada in the corner and follows up with his uh, good vibrations move, which uh, I'm not a fan, fan of. I have in my notes, looks like shit. <laughs> but has this ever gotten over to you? Uh, no. Like in any situation? No. I, I mean... I understand it if you if it's just to get over Nakamura's kind of a dickhead to his opponent. Yeah. But do I think it's an effective looking move? No. What's what's he doing? He's he's actually moving his body more than he's actually moving his opponent's body. Yeah, I I think uh it's that type of stuff should be reserved. Even even the the break spot with uh a, like grappling your opponent up against the ropes and, and putting his face on the belly, like that that works like pretty much in any scenario in WWE now, but like, um, like G1 final, it's like, and credit to Okada, like kind of 
taking uh, taking action and, and, and kind of going for uh, the opening and and going after Nakamura when he's he's uh, kind of left himself open and he's not taking it too seriously considering it's the freaking G1 final. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. From this point, uh, Nakamura is able to land one of his beautiful jumping kicks on Okada. Uh, Okada is set up at the top turnbuckle where Nakamura delivers a devastating running knee right into Okada's stomach. Uh, I got to think, every time he does that to anyone, I just think, oh, God, that must really, really suck. Because I don't think there's too much, like, way to protect your opponent. You know, I know he's, yeah. he's not really actually hurting them. Like, he's not crippling them or anything like that. But, like, it's got to still hurt really re- a lot, you know. For sure. Um uh, Okada is sent to the outside from this massive uh, running knee. Uh, from here, Nakamura delivers another running knee while Okada is draped face down on the apron and then follows up with a jumping knee drop from the apron to the back of Okada's head. Uh, I, it's one of my favorite spots from Nakamura when he does this move. Likewise. But the, the, the bad part about it is it either looks like incredible and he's actually connecting with his opponent like the back of their head or um he's completely missing it and like i i remember seeing i like which specific uh uh i, I don't remember which specific tanahashi match it was but um he he goes for this move and he completely miss, misses him and tana kind of just has to like jostle his head around and act like he just got nailed in the back of the head but this one looked great yeah uh, this one i think definitely connected to some degree oh yeah uh, yeah yeah uh, from there, from this point, Nakamura turns up the the dickhead levels by kicking uh, Okada in the face, and it gives him a stiff kick to the chest. Uh, after that, Nakamura does a snapmare to Okada and does another jumping knee drop, but this time to Okada's face. And I'm like, oh my god, he's he's proving a point to his kohai here, Joey. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's making sure he knows who's boss. That's yep. for sure. Uh, Okada is finally able to find an opening by dropkicking uh, a seated Nakamura off the top rope to the floor. So I think Nakamura is going to set up a, a, like a jumping Bomae, maybe, from like sitting on the, the, the top turn, Kaboko, but he would be like standing from the, the second. But Nakamura is able, uh, Okada is able to uh, counter that and sends uh, Nakamura to the floor. From here, Okada kicks Nakamura over the guardrail and gives uh, Nakamura a draping DDT off the guardrail. I'm always worried about this move. I, I really feel like, you know, because of people like what happened to Takayama and what happened to Honma, like, yeah, this, dra- like draping this DDTs is the are, exact move. Yeah. Yeah. These are dangerous moves. Like you, I, maybe Okada's be one of the few people I would trust to do this move. But like, I, I'd be like, Hey, I want to do a draping DDT to you. I, if I was a wrestler, I'd be like, uh, okay, who are you? Yeah, if I it was like some, if I was some guy on the indies, I like no, like who are you? Yeah, I'm like three years into the business, dude, can I give you a draping DDT? No, no, you, you, you can't. I'm sorry, you you cannot. Yeah it, yeah, it seems like Okada like knows what he's like. Obviously, he knows what he's doing in the ring, but especially with this move where he, it, it seems like he takes care of his opponent and like makes sure that they're fully like pulled out, like fully extended from like no bends in the knees or anything. So like they can take most of the bump like on their chest and they're not like actually taking the full impact on their head or neck. So yeah, I've, I've never felt like too, too, too scared or, or whatever, uh, fearful of, of Okada hurting anybody, but yeah, the wrong person does this move to somebody who isn't ready. And yeah, we've seen the results of that. So 
Yeah, so it's it's something to be uh, you know wary of as a viewer, and as if you're if you're a wrestler listening to this, like yeah, make sure, sure make sure you trust the person that's giving you a dripping <laughs> DDT. Uh, from this point, we see that Okada does his diving elbow, and then he. And gets this is all it. classic Okada. Yeah, <laughs> this is like Okada six moves of doom, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he does a diving elbow to, and he gets up. He does the rainmaker pose. Of course, the camera zooms out. Uh, thankfully, I don't think you see too many empty seats on the zoom out, so that's a good thing. Uh, the Rainmaker is ducked by Nakamura, who hits a lung blower onto Okada. And then from here, we see an elbow exchange into a flapjack by Okada. Okada goes for red ink, but Nakamura turns it into a sleeper hold. Um, yeah, this I- was so smooth. He's really good with his transitions. By, yeah. by by that I mean like Nakamura is right with like the, the yeah. May kind of going into like you know like sleeper holds and and arm bars and leg locks and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah, like, like you said, Okada hits the the was it the uh, what's is it called Heavy Rain that flapjack? He hits that and then he goes for for uh, red ink and like t- tries to tie up Nakamura's legs and then Nakamura. I don't even understand how he does it. It's like one of those things that like that it's like Zack Saber level or Saber Junior level where it's like I don't know what I just watched, but it like was so insane. Like my brain can't comprehend it. But he like kicks out Okada's legs and then ends up in a rear naked choke. Like it was so seamless and so perfect. I love that spot. Yeah, from here Okada is like trying to roll out of the the, the sleeper hold, but you know yeah. Nakamura transitions beautifully into a triangle hold onto him. Just and then he yeah. turns it into an armbar, arm like, yeah. Just am- amazing stuff from Nakamura. Like his ground game is just so underrated. I feel. Yeah, I, I feel like this is where the match really starts picking up, and and uh, you see uh, Nakamura starting to more so target that that arm and uh, more power to it. Like that's such a telltale perfect story for an Okada matches to target his arm so he can't hit the Rainmaker. Um, so I yeah I, I think the match really kicks into full gear like right around this point oh for sure from here like nakamura gives okada the the gourd buster and follows up with grounded knee strikes into a front neck lock and then he turns that into an inverted power slam setting up the bomaye uh okada fortunately for him ducks and hits an air raid crash onto nakamura uh from here we get the uh, john woo drop kick into the heavy rain and I all due respect to our respective friend Matt Matt McEwen. It's not the fucking shotgun drop kick. It's a John Woo. <laughs> yeah, that and that John Woo. It, he he kind of placed it where he normally does his like his classic drop kick. Where this one, he just jumps like like six feet up in the air and just like nails Nakamura in the face. And it was like pretty unique. Like it was one of those like, what can I pull out of like my bag of tricks for this this big match? And I was kind of just uh set me off a little bit off like what you're expecting to see and it was a, a cool little change of pace I, I feel in preparation for this match he was watching a lot of old uh sua tapes <laughs> wow i haven't i haven't seen a sua match in a while <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know sua was a, a toriyaman guy he was one of the original members of, of crazy max and he i'm pretty sure he invented the john woo like corner drop kick uh, and like he popularized it when he went to Noah, he it got e- over even more so. It got more exposure when he was in Pro Wrestling Noah because 
he was in Red. He was in Noah like during it, the height of its popularity. So yeah, and then you just see everyone do it. Like uh, you know, people in Dragon Gate do it. Like I think Yazushi Kanda does it to uh, you know less John Woo. Uh, <laughs> like less effect. Yeah, he actually goes John Woo. And so it's like yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You're you're not you're no Sua, but you know Okada is you know very much. You know, <laughs> in the, in the level of Sua level drop, uh, John Woo drop kicks. I'll, I'll I'll give him that for sure. Definitely, it's it's one of his his great uh, accomplishments is to be able to do uh, John Woo <laughs> like Sua. Anyways, uh, from here, uh, Okada blocks a spinning back kick from Nakamura and hits a standing drop kick to the back of Nakamura's head. So, like, this is his very famous. He has one of the most beautiful standing drop kicks I've ever seen in my life. But this yeah. time, he he, de- he doesn't hit it to the person's face. He does it to the back of Nakamura's uh, head. Then he gives him a tombstone pile driver. Uh, from here, like uh, Okada goes from the Rainmaker, but it's uh, midway flipped into another armbar by Nakamura. Just an- again, another awesome transition from yes. uh, Shinsuke here. Like I, I there's like I I have a pretty bad memory when it comes to like like a through line of a professional wrestling match. And especially cause I mean, we've seen so many wrestling matches. It's hard to keep everything straight, but I will never forget that reversal to that rainmaker, uh, for as long as I live like that he into like a, would you call it like a Diablo arm bar or something like the way he rolls like into the clothesline catches Okada's head and just takes it to the ground. It was so beautiful, man. Like it's still kind of like, takes me a second like it catches me off guard even now like i've seen this match like four or five times at least and it's still like so sweet to see oh definitely it's like whenever he's able to pull that stuff off like in when in any kind of context whether it's in new japan or even less so now in wb but when, when he's able yeah. to with the right opponent he can do like these kinds of things and it just reminds you of like how good he was and how good he could possibly be still if like he was working in a company that actually promoted professional wrestling but we'll, we'll not get into that uh, uh from the armbar okada is able to roll out and, and escape but you know he's kneeling uh and he's clutching his arm and he, and nakamura sees the perfect opportunity to hit him in the back of the head with a bomaye and this was absolutely beautiful like i i love the bomaye joey yeah especially to the back of the head <laughs> Those those look extremely brutal. They as do, opposed to just like in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you know, like they they do say like in MMA, like you know, back of the head is is a you know far more you know it's kind of off limits, right? Like yeah, for, for, for like sure. what what is it like twelve to six position? Like elbow strikes from that is like it's completely illegal because it's dangerous. Yep. So yeah, definitely Bomaye to the back of the head is very very effective. Um from here though, uh not Okada's still alive and there's another strike exchange that Nakamura wins with a jumping forearm. Uh Okada rallies back with an uppercut and uh Okada shoots Nakamura into the ropes and delivers a John Woo to the face. I think so the one before was like to the chest into the corner. This okay. one yes, this, this one is, is the one I'm thinking of. This is the one I'm thinking of. Okay. And this so. is, and I'm sorry, just as I write here, crowd is hot. This, this John Woo, like, it's one thing to see him do a standing drop kick to, to, to get the height, especially someone as tall as Nakamura. Like, it's impressive, but he did a seated drop kick to Nakamura's face. It's unbelievable. Yeah, this is, this is a spot that I was uh, recollecting a few minutes ago. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't want to go back into the spiel, but like, yeah, this specific spot and the that 
Diablo armbar, Rainmaker reversal, like two like key spots in matches that I'll, I, I don't think I'll ever forget. Like I will stay in my memory for the rest of my life. Like for this 2014 G1 final, I'll always back. Oh yeah. That crazy downward drop kick to the face and that armbar reversal. Yeah, definitely. These are like definitely highlights of this particular match from here. Uh, uh, Nakamura avoids another drop kick by holding onto the ropes and follows up with another Bomaye. And he covers Okada, but in a very lackadaisical way. So, you know, Okada easily kicks out. It's like, it's like I heard Gorilla Monsoon in, in my, in my head and he's saying, gotta hook the leg, gotta hook the leg. <laughs> God bless Gorilla Monsoon. I, I miss that man's <laughs> commentary. Uh, Nakamura hits a second rope jumping Bamaye, but Okada hits him with a drop kick to the face again. When, uh, <laughs> so he hits the first jumping rope uh, uh, Bamaye, and then he goes for another one. But Okada drop kicks him in the face. There's a lot of kicking people in the face in this match, Joey. Yeah, I'm into it. I love I love getting or watching people get kicked in the face, <laughs> especially drop kicks with two feet. It's better than one foot, yep. right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Uh, <laughs> a blocked rainmaker is turned into a German suplex by Okada. Uh, so, like Nakamura blocks uh, the rainmaker from Okada, but he's able to turn it into a German suplex. He tries for another rainmaker, but Nakamura blocks it with a jumping knee. This is amazing. This is like we're we're at the crescendo of the match here, Joey. Uh, yeah. Nakamura. Straight punches Okada right in the fucking face and goes for the landslide, but Okada turns it into a backslide that he rolls uh, through into a Rainmaker. He maintains the, the of course, he risk maintains control. The, risk control, yes, okay, uh, and delivers another one. Uh, these are not the ripcord versions of the, of the Rainmaker, so, of course, this is not the finish of the match. However... Soon after, Okada is able to do the ripcord version into the third Rainmaker in a row for the one, two, three for the big win of uh, Okada over Shinsuke Nakamura. And we see yeah, Okada gets the win in 23 minutes and 18 seconds. And, you know, I got to say, conversely, this match both feels shorter than 23 minutes, but at the same time, it also feels longer because it feels more epic than a 23 minute match. Yeah, for sure. I, I like when uh, when we kind of scheduled this uh, to to record and and review this match. I for whatever reason, I like my memory, like like from memory, I thought this match was like a forty minute like epic. And then I looked at the match time and I'm like, well, it's only twenty three minutes. Where like I've seen this matches a few times. Like, I've, <laughs> like how could I remember it like being seventeen, eighteen minutes longer than? Than what it actually is but yeah maybe you're right it's just uh they pack so much in that the epic feel of the match in the Cebu Dome and just being Okada and Nakamura they they fit so much in and made it seem like like this big huge G1 final match so well the, the pacing of the match is very deliberate at the beginning it really builds slowly through the grappling and then but once it gets kicks into third gear like really from those John Woos then it's just like Boom, 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 boom. Move, move, yeah. counter, counter, reversal, reversal. You know, fit, false finish, false finish, false finish. So it's it's a really, I think the third gear, like the, the crescendo of the match, the third act, the closing stretch, whatever you want to call it, is like yeah. so epic. You feel like I've been watching like a 40-minute a like King's Road epic or, or like, you know, a strong style classic from ni- 1992 or something like that. Yeah. So how's this, uh, how's this, 
G1 final kind of hold up compared to the others that you've reviewed so far? Uh, no, it's 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 definitely like, you know, one that I remember because I, I do have a live bias because I was there live. And yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. just being like so excited. I, I was definitely like on the the side of like Nakamura winning this. I thought he was going to win it. I thought, OK, we've seen Okada have his time. I always felt like Shinsuke never got to the position that he should have had, like in the same like stratosphere as like. You know Tanahashi and Okada at this point in New Japan's like you know history, I I yeah. felt like he was kind of downgraded because like the Okada was the big project, and and you know I, it's up there, it's definitely up there. I I'm still like kind of like contemplating what my top five G1 finals are. I I've I'm gonna save that discussion with you know John Pollock on episode twenty eight. You know it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna list my top five performers of the finals of every G1 climax. So like in like every, you know, 28 matches, who are the top five guys, you know, in the history of the G1 finals, what were the top five matches? So I'll, I'll do all that then, but this is, this, okay, this cool. might rank high. I love this match. It was, it was amazing, you know? Um, so, and I was there live. It was a, it was a fun experience to be at the CBD afterwards, like going home was, was brutal. It was a long <laughs> trip back home. We, we like, if it was now, I would have just stayed in 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 the area. I would have like got a, yeah. yeah, I would have got a hotel and just gone back the next day. I would have taken the day off, but I it, it is what it is. But um, I did say I made a note here in my notes that you know it's a shame Okada and Nakamura didn't have the kind of rivalry that you know Okada would have with Tanahashi and with like Naito. Like I think these guys had such amazing chemistry as opponents that if they had you know, a series of matches, like, you know, maybe twice a year, they had, they had a big match against each other. Maybe Nakamura would have beaten him for the title at some point that it would go down as like, as memorable as the rivalry, like Okada would have with people like Kenny Omega, Tanahashi and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I, I may be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they've only had three singles matches total and they were all in the context of a G1. So, like, the 2012 uh, Osaka match, this final, and then the following year, I think they met in, like, the whatever block final might leading up to the Sumo Hall final the next year uh, in 2015. And then I think that's it. And they're all great matches, but it's like, like you said, like, if they were wrestling twice a year, like, who knows how much goodness they would have produced, you know? I think you wouldn't have burned out like, you know, Tanahashi Okada as much yeah. uh, as a match. Like as weird as those matches always tend to be and, and like I I can't think of them ever having a bad match, but you've done it so many times that you, you, you do hurt the, the box office draw of that match in Japan. Like obviously it, it's a big reason like any kind of walk up after the announcement of that in Dallas, I think was, was helped by, you know, Tanahashi Okada being said being set as the main event of that show. But if you had, like, him, you know, Okada and Naito is still pretty much protected. It's not been, like, you know, like, overdone. I think if you mixed in Nakamura in there, like, you would still have, like, a lot of freshness before, like, Tanahashi and Okada. But that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. I I don't think we'll ever see that because I don't know if, you know... We're not... We're definitely not going to see 2015 Shinsuke Nakamura come back to to New Japan. We're going to see, like... A, a different version 
of Shinsuke Nakamura if and when he ever comes back to Shinihan Perez. Yeah, I I don't want to speculate, but I hope he does. Like I, I don't even care if it's if it if he's not to the level that he was before he left, but it'd just be cool to see him come back come back home, you know. <laughs> like Kenta, you know, Kenta coming back home to New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> That's right. Like uh yeah, cuz he started there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's he like did not joke, like right? yeah. That's, that's old it, at this point. That's just so egregiously stupid. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like Kenta. Like people. This and these are people pretending that they know what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, like he started in Japan. Uh, what? Like, no, he didn't. Yeah, I've been watching his whole career. Like you know, the the green mats of like uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. You mean wrestling <laughs> Noah? Right? Like that's what I said. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it, like, listen. Just go on a sidetrack here, Joey. Like, it's almost as stupid as people saying, like, people saying Kenta joining New Japan is being like a traitor to Noah. Like, I have no time for people who say that because it's just what what version of Noah are you talking about? Because the version of 2019 is not the same as the version that Kenta left. You know, in the five years yeah. prior, that doesn't exist anymore. Masawa's Noah yeah, is dead. Yeah, it's more so not being uh, loyal to pro wrestling Noah as it is to like being unloyal to uh, Marafuji because <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, like who else do they have still like go Marafuji, Akitoshi Saito and Shuhei Tanaguchi. And that's about it. Like, uh, I mean, I, I, how could you forget Maso Inoue? <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, he's he's kind of just in on like the big shows for opening match comedy, but yeah, no, I I love Masawanoi. I would never forget him. <laughs> you know, I know Dark Agents is one of your favorite tag teams of all time, right? <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Um, let's get back to the aftermath of the uh, the G one final. So Okada, of course, would get the the contract to wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, he would defend this contract. I'm not a huge fan of this. This idea of defending the contract, I, I think it's kind of devalues the G1 win, but that's just my feeling. He he defends the contract against Carl Anderson on September September 23rd at Destruction in Okayama. He would then defend the contract success, successfully against uh, Tetsuya Naito at King of Pro Wrestling on October 13th in Sumo Hall. Uh, from there, he would fail to regain the IWGP heavyweight title from Hiroshi Tanahashi. And afterwards, in the post-match, he would famously cry yes. <laughs> and enter yeah. his slump period here. Uh, Joey, I, I was there at, at that show live, and I remember, I, was, I think I was, sitting, I was sitting with Chris Charlton, and I were like, I go to Chris, I was like, is he crying? He's like, yeah, he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there's no crying in wrestling. What is he crying for? Yeah, I remember being very confused about that, but also oddly sympathetic. Like I, I felt bad for Okada once. Once he uh, he could he still couldn't uh, accomplish the goal of beating Tanahashi at the Dome, and yeah, it's a uh, that's a funny little point in history for Okada's career. Yeah, in retrospect, though, it's probably one of the best things to happen to him in his career. Oh, for because, sure, because they definitely built it up to the next year in in the Tokyo Dome where he it was next year, right? That he he beats him finally. Um, so it was. This year, 2014, would have been, was it Okada and Naito and Tanahashi and Nakamura? Where, yeah, 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 because Naito won the G1. No, that was got, the year before. That was the year before, like, Naito. Yeah, but, 
so 2014 Wrestle Kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah, been, yeah. Yeah, the, when uh, when Naito got double main event, yeah. Yeah, where Naito and Okada got demoted. Yeah, so then 2016 would have been AJ and Nakamura, and yeah, that's when yeah, you're right, Okada and Tanahashi, and that's when Okada finally beats him. Yeah, in, in the yeah. I, I feel the 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 similar circumstances are going to play itself out in uh, Wrestle Kingdom in uh, January 4th, 2020, with Naito and Okada in the role reversal. Ooh, I hope so. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be there when, uh, with you, actually. I think that was the day we met, actually, in, in person, uh, when Naito beat Okada for the title uh, for the first time. And ever since then, all of us LAJ fans have been just waiting with bated breath just hoping that Naito can finally do it. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, per, I'm still perplexed by the decision to put him, put the belt on him at that point because I, I think it, it was a nothing title reign. It ended up being like an insignificant title reign. Like, and I think it, it hurts the, the moment that he would have in, like, when he does finally beat Okada in the Tokyo Dome, you know, on on a, on a Wrestle Kingdom show, the main event. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know though. That's not how I see this year's G One uh, kind of playing out though. I don't, I don't see Naito even making it to the finals. Actually, <laughs> not to oh, okay get into this year's talks. No, we can if you want before okay. we hit the trivia part. Like you, you don't think I like I have him winning the the block. I have him, I have him facing uh, Osprey. Like you know, people say oh, Ibushi. I say he's like I, I. I like to do like the the bold predictions. I, I I'm yeah. probably going to be wrong, but like I like to do the bold predictions because if I turn out to be right, I you know I can present myself as some kind of fucking wrestling genius or something. But uh, <laughs> but retweet yourself. That's right. I'm smart. <laughs> I'm a smart wrestling fan. Look at me. But no, no, like I, that's just my like left field kind of prediction. It could easily be Ibushi and Naito, but you don't have that. What do you have as your G1 Finals winner and Wrestle Kingdom main event then? Okay, so I, um, I'll preface by saying that we're at what just finished today, day seven of yeah. the G1. Yeah, don't say or anything because I because I haven't I got to catch up, so don't say any results. Yeah, me neither. I, I need to watch yesterday's and today's show still, but um, so just to preface it by saying my blocks and my pickums are already screwed, but I'm still sticking with the finals being Jay White versus Kota Ibushi, and then on the B block final night, considering Jay White faces uh, uh, Naito, I, I see them being tied, or Jay White being like one point behind Naito going into that that final night and then Jay White beating him to uh, surpass him in the points and move on to the finals. And then Ibushi and Okada, similar situation, but they go to a draw and like Ibushi moves on by one point, whatever, but Jay, Jay White and Ibushi in the finals. And then I see Ibushi winning. And then that leads to Jay White and Naito fighting for the IC belt since they, uh, since Jay White beat him, in the B block final night. And then, uh, um, Okada and Ibushi, a rematch from their draw that I'm, I'm predicting on the A block final night at Russell kingdom. But I don't know, like the more, uh, as time goes on, I'm, I'm no, uh, 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 fortune teller or anything. So I, I have no like insight. So I, I don't so, so you're what's your main event for one of the Russell kingdom shows is it's, it's Ibushi. Ibushi Okada 
for the title. Yes. At Wrestle Kingdom. Yes. Okay. And what's the, so is so Jay White and Naito on the the, the next night as a main event? Uh, either or, or I I'm not sure how they're gonna book those those two nights at the dome, but I figured that one night would be like dedicated to Jushin Liger's retirement. But if they want to split it up, I, I feel like Jay White and Naito could be a good like semi main event to to like Liger's main event night, and then I think uh, Okada Bushi can can sell out the dome easily. Yeah, well, I my my scenario is like you know like. I, like however he gets there, Will Ospreay is going to win his block, and then he's going to face Naito, and Naito's going to win his block, and then they're going to face in the finals, and and Naito's going to beat him. But it doesn't hurt Osprey if he loses the finals to Naito because Naito's a bigger star. But like being in the yeah. finals will elevate Osprey to a high, to a higher degree because like he as a junior heavyweight he was able to reach the finals. He he takes Naito to the limit, but he just comes up short just by like a millimeter you know of effort. But sure. this sets up that he's a main event player. And I think, like, so I would have January 4th would be Naito versus Okada for the title. And you have a stacked card, obviously, there. Um, January 5th, you also have a stacked card. And I would, I would devote, like, the semi-main event spot of, like, Jushin Liger's retirement match, whoever it is against. I, it seems like maybe they're going to they're gonna hold off him and Minoru Suzuki for then. But if it's not him, then, you know, someone else really important to his history would be nice. Um, but we'll see. That's the same my main, and then the main would be the junior heavyweight title being defended by Will Ospreay against the returning Hiromu Takahashi. That I and I think that could draw like the return of Hiromu Takahashi and him challenging Osprey for the title would be, I think, you know, coupled with like so the fifth could be like the junior heavyweight night. You know what I mean? That sure. that that could be the thing that like really draws a lot of people to buy tickets as a walk-up. I think all the advanced tickets you're going to see sell out, like sell in the first couple of months of being, of the, of the tickets being released. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the Mm -hmm. walk-up will be driven by like anything from like November on will be driven by like the announcement that, you know, Hiromu Takashi is back. And then if, of course this scenario all plays out if he comes back. Right. Uh, Yeah. But I feel they're teasing it enough. And I feel like they, they might think, you know, let's have his return match at, Wrestle Kingdom, or have him challenge for the title at Wrestle Kingdom against Osprey, who's like really like one of the hottest acts in the company right now. For sure, yeah. Hey, I mean, I I'd be fine with either of our uh, predictions kind of playing out. Yours is more well thought out, whereas mine is kind of like basic. Like, you know, you can't have Naito go for the IWGP Championship if he's still the IC champion, but like they easily could work themselves into that type of situation but like my brain's like no they'll split it up so they have more titles to defend on those two nights but who knows <laughs> we shall see we shall see yeah, I, I, shall, I, yeah i don't get invested in my like predictions it's like what whatever happens happens it, it's fine I, I like to go with the flow uh but let's let's get to the uh the trivia joey are you ready for the trivia part oh man episode I feel like I'm going to do worse this time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Let's see. So it's, uh, we're 2014. It's August. Uh, what is the number one song on the Billboard charts? Oh. Let's see. Well, considering the main event is, of this G1 is Okada and Naito, uh, or <laughs> Nakamura, sorry. Uh, Okada and Nakamura, uh, I believe they were in uh, – a music video 
a Japanese specific one for Pharrell Happy, and that sounds like it might be right. <laughs> uh it's it's not. It's a dang. It's a Darn. it's a it's a Canadian group that's at the top of the charts with their with this particular song. A Canadian group. I have I you, I'm stumped, man. And this was only five years ago. Okay. <laughs> It's a song called Rude by a Canadian reggae fusion band called Magic. Do you know who they are? Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is like every basic girl's favorite song that year. Okay. I have no idea what the song or who these guys are because I live in Japan. So I'm I'm totally checked out of modern pop music. Uh, Number one song. No, sorry. Number one album on the charts at this time. Number one album on the charts. Is it like a Lady Gaga or a... No, I've never heard of these people. This group, never it's, heard it's, of them. It's, it's, a, it's a group. So, I've never heard of them before today, or when I've ever. It's like five seconds of summer or something. Yes. Oh, really? It's awesome. five, It's a self-titled album from Five Seconds of Summer. Who I have no idea what they're like. Are they any good, Joy? Uh, it's not my cup of tea. I I can't hate on people that like whatever type of music. I mean, we're talking. We're doing a podcast on Japanese wrestling, so people can like what they like. But it's basically a a boy band. Okay, let, let me stop yeah. you right there. Pro wrestling is infinitely better than boy bands as a topic. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of girls that would uh, uh, argue that, but I agree with you. <laughs> it, it's no, there's. I'm sorry, there's no subjectivity to this. It's objectively true. Like pro wrestling is a better topic, is a better thing to be a fan of than boy bands. Anyways. Number one movie <laughs> at the box office on August 10th of 2014. Number one movie. I'll give you a clue. It's a remake. Okay. It's a remake. Or a reboot. Whatever the fuck you want to call it. Is it Star Trek? No. No? Um, hmm. Am I in the right? Uh... No. No. <laughs> I, 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 Is it a horror movie? No, I think I think Seamus was a character in this movie. Oh, I have no idea then. I didn't even know he was in a movie. <laughs> uh, so it's a remake or reboot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, the CGI one. Yeah, I think Seamus plays like one of the like a mutant boar or a mutant rhino or some shit like that. I, I can't huh? remember. Good like, for him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, you know, get like, that money. Get the get the movie money, baby. Take, yeah. Don't take, don't take them bumps no more. Okay, let's I've, move. On. Sorry, go ahead. I've actually I, I've never seen this one, but I I love like the 1988 or 89 original live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I love those movies, but yeah, I, when I saw the previews for these, it's like I hand waved it. It's there's no way I'm ever seeing these. It looks too gaudy and 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 cheesy. Yeah, who's I mean, like Kevin Nash is like. Uh... Isn't he Shredder in one of them? Yeah, he's like Super Shredder in, in Ninja Turtles 2. Secret of the Ooze? Yeah, that, that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember I liked the first one. I don't have like strong memories about Ninja, Ninja Turtles 2, but I, I was always a fan of like the black and white comics by Eastman and Laird like when they first came out. I remember when I was in middle school, this is how old I am, like Ninja Turtles, like the comic books were like such a huge phenomenon. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I, I had my little phase. <laughs> I think everyone did, but you, you, yeah. probably, you're of the age that you had the phase with the cartoons, right? Cowbunga yeah. and and the fucking pizzas, right? Like, yep, Cow- the co- and all the 
that all the action figures like they they would do like they had these really cool like spring loaded action figures that could do like backflips and land on their feet and i thought those things were so freaking cool when i was like five or six <laughs> yeah i gotta go hipster on you just say no i like the black and white gritty comics where people died Ooh, you're a real fan <laughs> i am i'm a real fan so. uh, let's move on to the wrestling portion of our trivia who is the i WGP heavyweight champion uh, on August tenth uh, of two thousand fourteen. Tanahashi, not Tanahashi. Uh, AJ Styles. AJ Styles was the champion in New Japan Pro Wrestling at this time. Yes, who are the? So, oh, sorry, so when, does, when does when uh, does I'm my timeline screwed up then? So if AJ Styles is a champion, when does he does he lose the belt at King of Pro Wrestling or Power Struggle? I forget where it's one of the fall shows. Yeah, he loses it okay. to uh, I think Tanahashi, right? So yeah, okay, he gains the belt back there. Who are the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions? Uh, I'll just take a wild guess and say KES. No, the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team. Champions. Oh, Junior, uh, Red Dragon. No, dang. Uh, Time Splitters. The Time Splitters. Uh, okay, I. I, I I'm gonna be maybe controversial and say I think I prefer the time splitters to the Motor City Machine Guns and I and I love Chris Haven but I just think there's like this really interesting like you un- more a, a more unique dynamic to Kushida and and Shelly teaming than Saban and Shelly. Definitely, I I think um, I even like really enjoyed uh, the Junior Tag League run with uh, uh, Kushida and Saban. So maybe. Kushida's just a better tag partner to each member of the Motor City Machine Guns and their actual respective partners. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that run they had in the Junior Tag League as well. I, I thought if Alex Shelley's not going to be teaming with, with Kushida, then like the next best natural partner for him would be Chris Saban. Uh, so I, yeah. I'm, sad, I'm sad they never got really a chance to be a, a full-time team like Shelley and Kushida. One of my favorite, you know, tag teams in the history of the junior heavyweight tag team championships um let's move on to all japan pro wrestling uh joey who is the triple crown champion at this time Ooh, in 2014 uh is it uh suwama it's not suwama darn uh trying to think of what else is going on I don't think the the burning guys had yeah they had moved over by then right um, I I think they're like getting like getting phased out I think out yeah, yeah. so is it, it Joe Doring it is Joe Doring yes ah cool cool <laughs> it's uh, so it's so uh, I, I'm like three for three on like my first guess being wrong and then my second guess being right <laughs> well you're you're, you're, you're uh, the what, i don't know what the what the term would that for be you're, you're the rebound champion is that what you're saying yeah hey i'll take it <laughs> there you go uh ring of honor world champion uh in 2014 is it big mike michael Elgin is, is yeah. correct is the correct answer yeah. uh world wrestling entertainment intercontinental champion Oh, this sucks. Uh, is it The Miz or somebody? Oh, you're right, The Miz. Yes! <laughs> and finally... I swear I didn't do the, do any research. 
No, I believe you. I, I believe you're too lazy to do any research. So, uh, yeah, no, so you got just, that right. I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> finally, the WWE champion. Oh man. Um, see, like all the Summer Slams for like a stretch of like four years, all all like blended. But I want to say at this point, Brock Lesnar would have been the champion. Is that right? No. Ah, John Cena. John Cena, yes, the rebound. Okay, so the, okay, so this is where this is the year that they meet at SummerSlam and they do the Suplex City, and he beats him with like eight, eighteen or whatever, how many German suplexes in a row or whatever. Yeah, he beat the shit about him in that match, didn't he? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I remember when he came. This is the year he came back, wasn't it? Brock Lesnar. Who, no, Brock came back in twenty. 12 okay that was the year like he had his first match against cena he beat the yeah. fucking shit out of him right yeah and at not not, yeah, the... not this not the suplex city stuff but like he just beat the shit out of him yeah but then cena still won and so everybody was like so you bring lesnar back and in his first match you have cena cena win <laughs> but yeah, yeah that that After he gets the he shit beat out of him, so I, like, yeah. I, I was always perplexed by that match. I love that match because I was just like, "Whoa, Brock's not fucking around. He's he's kicking the shit out of Cena." And then, but Cena wins. I'm just like, "What? Weird." Yeah, yeah. That that show was awesome too. I mean, like that's two years previous of what we're talking about, but I think it was Extreme Rules 2012. That's like one of the best WWE pay per views ever. What was else was on that card? I like two other matches. Uh, Jericho and. Uh, uh, punk in a street fight and the show was in chicago so it was right super hot crowd and then daniel bryan and sheamus have like a two out of three falls match to follow up the the mania match where bryan loses in like eight seconds or whatever oh, and then right uh that's that's as much as i can remember right now yeah, but yeah it was I, a good show i remember the jericho punk match i don't remember the sheamus daniel bryan match i you know what you know just we're completely off topic now, but like I really love the, <laughs> the the Daniel Bryan Roman Reigns match. I think it's like from the first Fastlane show. Yeah, Fastlane twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's a great match. That's one of my favorite Daniel Bryan WWE matches of all time. Is like the one he has with with Roman. I think it, it. They never capitalized enough from that match to make. I think they should have made Roman a heel. You know, I think he would have yeah. been excelled in that role if he was actually heel and just like beating the shit out of people, people would react positively in, like, in the sense that they would boo him, but they'd be the right kind of booing for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, But they missed the point. Anyways, uh, that's the end of our trivia. Joey, once again, thank you so much for appearing here on Cruel Summer. Where, where can people find more of you? Um, thank, well, first off, thanks for having me again. It's it's always a blast, and I'd love to be on whenever you'd, uh, you'd like to have me. Um, but yeah, feel free to follow me on twitter uh my handle is joey underscore bay and then on instagram it's bowie underscore j um so pretty uh formulaic there but i don't really have anything to plug um listen to wh's other shows and uh, follow post wrestling because their coverage of the g1 specifically is like so awesome and then to have your show the cruel summer podcast uh, it's a great compliment to everything else that's going on so i love the, I, I, all the content you guys are producing I don't know if you if you heard <laughs> this is one recent I think it was like the the first night of the Oda Ward shows 
that John and Wei are reviewing. Uh, so at some point, like, you know, I think Wei, Wei says something to the effect of, like, they should have had a sign because, like, Kotobushi's, like, you know, promoting or working the, the ankle injury, right? And he says, yeah, uh, they should have had a sign at, at the front of the doors for, like, that said, like, no ta ko ta in ota. <laughs> and Wei saying this, I obviously I cannot do the delivery of, of Wei, but he said this and I just started laughing like out loud in my living room. I was just like it was I couldn't stop laughing for like a whole minute. It was so funny. <laughs> That's pretty good though. Yeah. And then I, I I felt that was weird I was listening to the English commentary, those two shows, and they kept calling it Ota Otaku, and I believe it should be pronounced Otaku because Otaku is something completely different okay <laughs> but i may you, be wrong when you say that who specifically was saying that was it both rocky and kevin kelly or was it kevin kelly alone saying that uh i i i believe it was both of them but i i specifically remember kevin kelly yeah kevin kelly <laughs> but... doesn't know how to fucking pronounce any japanese okay <laughs> I, I i am not a fan of that man's commentary i i feel he has devolved into tropisms of like his own like like oh I this gets over I'm gonna do this ooh I'm gonna say Destino like an obnoxious clown oh yeah that's yeah. great no fuck you Kevin Kelly I hate when you say <laughs> when you call the Destino move no I don't care I don't care I'm not looking for clout from Kevin Kelly like you know what I mean fuck you for yeah. for, for, say, for pretending you're Japanese like you you know basically he's like may, I feel. Like people might not agree with me, but it's okay. I feel he's making fun of the Japanese announcers and the way they call moves. It's like, Kevin, stay in your fucking lane. Just call it like you would like a WWE fucking match, okay? Or a Ring of Honor match. And don't be an obnoxious clown, all right? Rant over. So yeah, I, I'm going to get a lot of like tweets from this. Like, like I don't know if you heard my appearance on Pure Heart, Pure Lariat, you know, with Dylan, Dylan uh, Fox. But I just went on this epic rant about Weebos. And to this, like, months later, like, a month later, I still get, like, tweets. Dude, wow, it was awesome. I'm like, that's a month ago. <laughs> uh, all right. But so maybe people are going to, when this is released, people are going to be like, wow, you went off on Kevin Kelly. Wow, amazing. Or, wow, what an asshole you are or something. Either way, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've i I've grown to, to like his uh, commentary for the most part. But, yeah, that Destino call. I, I don't think I'll ever get on board with because it's it's just too obnoxious. But um, with that said, I, I still see where you're coming from. <laughs> that's fine. If you like if you like Kevin Kelly's commentary, that's fine. I get why. I don't. It's not like it perplexes me like why people like him. I I just find it overall like just an obnoxious presentation from him, and I just tune out and like I I, I prefer. Just in general, I prefer Japanese commentary. Japanese commentary. I do, yes. So, yeah. anyways, uh, so we'll wrap it up here. <laughs> if I haven't alienated all the Kevin Kelly fans, hopefully, I'll I'll see you on at least is at the end of the show. Yeah, hopefully. Well, <laughs> hopefully they'll they'll tune into episode twenty five. You know, I don't want the alienate yeah. from to finishing the series. Listen, if you if you're not liking what I'm saying, listen, you only got four more. Just just stick with stick it out with me for four more episodes, okay? <laughs> and then yeah. you never have to listen to me again. Dude, you got to start the build now for uh, your big uh, uh, session of just like trashing on everybody at the end of your your G one twenty eight review. Like you and John just got to go in on some people at the at the end of that show. Just yeah, I don't. I don't really, think. Uh, I don't think it. Like you know, this is not a slam on John, but I, I don't really think it's in him to like really 
<laughs> like no, he seems like the nicest guy ever. He he has gone off on people. Don't get me wrong. He's gonna listen to this like, like I've gone off on people. What are you talking about, W? <laughs> but you know, like for me, it's like I have no problems like saying this guy sucks. Oh, like for example, like just to pull back the curtain, I've already recorded episode twenty five, and I go off on three wrestlers on that show. You know, <laughs> I can't wait to listen. <laughs> I won't tell you who they are, but they are some of the worst fucking wrestlers ever to grace or disgrace the 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 new japan ring and you'll hear but like people like so my co-host on that mike murray he asked me what do you really feel about this particular wrestler i said he sucks but i say he doesn't suck he doesn't he but these these other two fucking suck so he this guy only sucks he sucks really bad but these two fucking suck they're worse than this guy so i'm not gonna ruin it you're, you're all gonna have to listen to episode 25 for who i'm talking about so there you go <laughs> So this this awesome. series of shows that I've done in the this this past weekend that I've recorded are are, are some some rants on this against Kevin Kelly and and three unknown wrestlers that you'll find out once you listen to episode twenty five and with that we shall wrap up this episode. Thank you to all the listeners who are still listening to this. Thank you to Joey <laughs> and I'll I'll see everyone on the next episode. Until then, goodbye.